Support for Innovation Hub comes from the Graken Center for Addiction at Boston Medical Center, making long-term recovery a reality for patients like Cassie, who now supports others struggling with the disease. You can see Cassie's story and learn more at bmcaddiction.org. Support for Innovation Hub comes from Cambridge Savings Bank. Introducing the CSB1 package, a checking account combined with investing through Connect Invest to help you build a better tomorrow. cambridgesavings.com/csb1. Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. Here's a research finding that might seem obvious. The more a wife earns relative to her husband, the more housework the husband does. And that would seem to make sense. The more hours a woman is working, the more housework probably has to be shared. And the man does more and more housework, up to the point where he and his wife make the same amount of money. Then, according to political scientist Dan Casino, things stop. Men on average don't do any more housework. Actually, for every $1,000 the woman earns after that, the man does 15 minutes less housework. This finding is part of a constellation of academic findings that have started to reveal something striking about where we are in terms of gender expectations, especially among young people, and how those views on gender are changing politics in America. Dan Casino joins us. He's an associate professor of political science at Fairleigh Dickinson University. Dan, welcome. It's a pleasure speaking with you, Kara. So, Dan, um, let me start with that finding that I just described, uh, which shocked me, I have to say. Maybe it did not surprise you. Why do men do less housework when their wives make more money than they do? Well, earning more money is an important part of traditional masculinity. You want to be the breadwinner. And these men have been brought up in a culture where they're supposed to be the breadwinner. And so when they're not the breadwinner, it's a real threat to their masculine identity. When we talk about gender, we're almost always talking about women. But men's masculinity is really, really fragile. So it's easy to think of you know men losing their masculinity if they behave with cowardice. Or for some reason, men can lose their masculinity where women's femininity is something they're born with. Masculinity is something you have to earn. And so if you're not earning more money than your spouse, you have to find some other way to reinforce masculinity, to show that you still are a man. And so these men are apparently saying, well, I might not be making money, but I'm certainly not going to do dishes. (laughs) Now, how widespread is this? I mean, we talk about averages, but I think, you know, men listening would think, well, I mean, there are a lot of different men out there who have a lot of different sort of views on whether they should contribute to housework or whether they shouldn't or, you know, you know how much they should help their wife. Um, so give me a sense of, I don't know if you can, the spread here, the differences, what you see. What's interesting about this is, first off, the findings when we replicated was in the United States. The original findings in this were actually from Australia. So worldwide, this is pretty widely spread throughout Western cultures. What's interesting to me is that this is something we didn't actually see very much of up until the late 1990s. And the reason was there just weren't very many households in America where wives earn more money than their husbands. Hmm. However, that all really changed with the Great Recession of 2009. And when that happened, suddenly the unemployment rate among men went way up. The unemployment rate among women didn't go up by nearly as much. And you had a whole slew of households that came into being in America where the woman made more money than the man. And that's where you started seeing this come up. 
today we're looking at somewhere around 30% of households in America where the women make more money than mm. the men do. And honestly, we think the number is probably actually higher than that because there's a whole lot of people who say, oh, I make exactly as much money as my wife does. And when someone says they make exactly as much money as their spouse, we're pretty sure they're lying. But we're not going <laughs> to hold them to it right now because uh, they're reinforcing the masculine by saying, no, 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 I don't make less money than she does. So it's pretty widespread at this point. Although, as I'm sure we'll talk about a little later, there are differences in the way men respond to it. So for almost all men, losing status as the breadwinner is important as a threat to masculinity. What's really different is the way in which men respond to that mm. threat to masculinity. And that can vary widely based on the predispositions of the men. I want to bring in now uh, Kay Kawashima Ginsburg. She's director of the Center for Information and Research on Civic Learning and Engagement at Tufts University. And she's with me right here in the studio. Uh, Kay, thanks very much for being here. It's great to be here. So you've done some really interesting research on men and women um, and how they voted in 2016. But you looked at uh, voting patterns amongst the group that I think many people would think is a very equity-minded group, uh, young voters. So, so talk a little bit about what you found. Sure. I looked at a couple of different sources. One was the exit poll nationally done for under 30-year-olds, and then for our own poll, which looked at millennials who were 18 to 34-year-old at the time of the polling. And what we generally found was that there was an enormous difference between young men and women in vote choice. Young women voted for Hillary Clinton by 63 percent, so almost two-thirds, whereas minority of men voted for Hillary Clinton for 47 percent. And we're talking about the generation of people who supported Barack Obama by two-thirds in 2008 and still 60 percent. And even 2016, they were the most likely to support Hillary Clinton at 55 percent. But once we open the lid of the millennials as a big group, we start to see real differences by gender and race. And this was the case. So, okay, if there was a big gap, uh, a lot more young women supported Hillary than young men. Was there any similar gap in 2012? Like maybe women just tend to be more like Democrats, say. Yeah, so that's a really great question, but not really. So young women have supported a Democrat candidate from 2008 through 16 at well over 60% throughout. However, young men really shifted down in their support. In 2008, they were really not that far apart. They were only about six points apart in terms of the support for Barack Obama. And that gap spread to 13 percent points in 2012 and now 17 points in 2016. So it's not a sudden phenomena that occurred just with Donald Trump versus Hillary Clinton, but it's been happening for the last eight years. Dan, uh, you have tied the sorts of personal findings that we talked about earlier um, in relation to gender roles in with politics. So explain to me, maybe using the 2016 election, how you combine people's own views of like themselves and their families in with politics. So we're looking here, we call them symbolic masculinities, ways in which men can assert their masculinity outside of these traditional roles of like being the breadwinner. And one of the ways, one of the most potent ways men can express their masculinity is through political and social views. Yeah, you can express your masculinity by not doing dishes, but you can also do it by saying, boy, I'm against women's rights. I'm against gay rights. Uh, in case of the 2016 election, we find a lot of men were expressing their masculinity by saying that they were not going to vote for Hillary Clinton. But how do you know, how do you know that they don't like her policies, but it has nothing to do with her gender. 
So this is one of my favorite experiments we ran during the 2016 election. So in a in a random digital telephone poll, we reminded, we were experimentally assigned half of the men in our sample to be reminded that there are an increasing number of American households in which women make more money than men. And we asked them, well, how about in your household? So now we didn't really care what they said because we know men lie about how much money they make relative to their spouses. But we just wanted to remind them, hey, you know, there's a lot of households where women make more money than men do. Then we asked them about a matchup in the presidential election. This is before the nomination process is totally over. When the matchup we asked them about was Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump, the men had been reminded about gender inequality and gender role threat suddenly preferred Donald Trump. They got, Donald Trump got a 20-point gain relative to Hillary Clinton wow. among those men. Now, when the matchup was between Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders— didn't make any difference at all. It wasn't about the policies. It wasn't about support for Republicans or Democrats. It was about trying to say they weren't going to support a woman for president because that itself is a real symbolic threat to men having dominance in society. If you want to be dominant in society, if you're worried about a place in society, the last thing you want is a woman to be holding the most powerful office in the land. So let me just question that on one point, though. One place where there are there are a couple places, but one place where Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders were aligned was being very against uh, things like NAFTA and the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which I mean, Hillary Clinton did weigh in on later, but she had previously supported TPP. Is it possible that the men who felt very negatively about um, Hillary Clinton, again, didn't dislike her because she was a woman, but they felt a certain way on trade deals? And that's why they liked Sanders and they liked Trump. I really like your optimism about how educated the American public is. <laughs> I'm just I'm not necessarily optimistic. I'm just I'm just want to make sure. <laughs> no, exactly. When we because we, we do this a lot. Uh, we're one of the few groups, our survey groups, one of the few groups that asks a lot of factual questions about what people know about politics. And the level of ignorance is appalling. People just don't know very much about politics. In this case, you know, the this was taken in, I think, May of 2016. People just did not know very much about where the candidates stood on any of these issues. And in fact, we're looking at Donald Trump's issues. They hadn't really even solidified, hadn't fully crystallized at that point. What's also interesting to me is we actually did see when we talk about gender equality in that way, we actually saw movement among women as well. And it was actually among older women, the sort of older white women we heard so much about in the 2016 election. They became more likely to say they were going to support Donald Trump as well when reminded of gender role equality. This is one thing that gets left out of this discussion. It's not just men who are very much in favor of men having a dominant role in society. It's actually also really older women who've lived their lives out, perhaps as, ho- as homemakers, uh, in a world where men were dominant. And they actually have, in some ways, more traditional gender role views than men do. But was this aversion to voting for Hillary Clinton about women? Or do you think it was like about Hillary Clinton particularly? And this is always hard to pull apart, right? There's the old Gallup question that was asked from the 60s up until the 80s asking people, would you vote for a woman for president if she was otherwise qualified for the office? And so that's, you know, so we can't really just say, oh, do people not think she was qualified? Would people vote for a woman but not this particular woman? We can't really do that on surveys. But what we can do is we can go into focus groups and ask people what they think about Hillary Clinton, how they view Hillary Clinton. And what we saw is that older women especially said that they thought Hillary Clinton looked down on them, that looked down on women who held traditional gender roles. Mm. And that goes back very deep into the history of Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. If we remember when Hillary Clinton first came in the spotlight in 1992, she was talking about how she wasn't going to be baking cookies and having tea parties. Well, that's 
was seen as an attack on women who did have traditional gender roles and were baking cookies. And she's saying, well, I'm not like that. I'm different. And so Hillary Clinton, I think, was a uniquely polarizing figure. If it had been a woman who had more traditional gender roles, no, I don't think you get the same backlash. Mm. We didn't see any of this backlash against someone like Sarah Palin, who had very traditional gender roles. So I do think it is something unique to Hillary Clinton. You know, there's a really interesting research coming out of Princeton University that talks about women and leadership that actually suggested that people, including women, are very comfortable taking a leadership role up to a point, such as vice president or vice, uh, Yeah, I was you know, thinking about that, too, because Sarah Palin wasn't running for president, not, and that's different. Right. So once the woman tries to get to the top spot rather than assistant to or helper of the number one guy— you know, both men and women had issues. Women felt reluctant to go for that kind of position, and men also felt that the women may not be qualified for that. Uh, I think we also have to note that this isn't just about candidate choice. This is also about political viewpoints. And so one of the studies that I've done looks at the same men over time. And so we have men talking about the political views in 2006, 2008, and 2010. And we can track the changes in their political views within the same men based on what happened to their financial status during that period, which, of course, includes uh, most of the Great Recession. And we find is that when men are threatened, when men lose uh, status in their households, Republican men become much, much more Republican on all sorts of issue views, on things like abortion, on things like uh, aid to African-Americans. And Democratic men become a little bit more Democratic. So it's not just that they're responding to Hillary Clinton personally. Hmm. They are becoming more conservative or more liberal on a general basis uh, on these issues that are related to dominance or related to gender. And that's necessarily going to impact the way in which they're going to be evaluating presidential candidates. Right. I'm Kara Miller. You're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm speaking with Kay Kawashima Ginsburg from Tufts and Dan Casino from Fairleigh Dickinson about changing gender attitudes and about politics. So, Kay, I'm going to throw this out to you first, but I'm interested in what both of you think. There was a scholarly paper published recently that looked at 40 years of a questionnaire that's been given to high school seniors. And one of the questions is essentially, do you agree with the notion that men should be breadwinners and women should take care of the home and the family? Starting in the 1970s, probably not surprisingly, students increasingly disagreed with the notion that men should be the breadwinners, women should stay at home. But then in 1995, the trajectory shifts. More students start liking the notion that men should go out and make money, uh, women should stay at home. Kay, I just wonder what you think is going on here. You know, a couple of things that I can think of is, one, there's been uh, a plateau in number of women elected office since 1992, really. It's been really dropped, you know, stopped at 20 to 25 percent at national and local level, and it hasn't moved at all. So there's been certainly sort of a, you know, halt in a progress that was made up to the point where you were saying the number of people that were saying that was increasing. Okay, so it climbed up to 1992 to about 20, 25 percent, and it's just has not moved. Sat there. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that sort of suggests that the public opinion, again, went to a certain point and then hasn't shifted. And the young people have been still sort of following their parents or haven't really been that different when it comes to electing somebody who's a female, for example. And it also goes back to the survey that we did, which essentially stated that the young women, when asked that they were willing to be politically feminist, 
they almost felt as though they could not say that. So that suggests that in some ways, when the questions ask really about the political issue, like should women be certain things or should men be playing a certain role, you know, young men, young men and women today are unwilling to make a statement that's overly political. So that's a couple of things that I can think about. Hmm. Dan, is this surprising to you? You know, this actually lines up with a lot of other data we've seen. Uh, so what some of the stuff we've, we ask about, uh, questions that we didn't even th- really think about asking before about 2010, was asking men if they feel like they're being discriminated against on the basis of their gender. Do they feel like men are being discriminated against? Do they feel like white people are being discriminated against? And again, from an objective viewpoint, it certainly doesn't feel like white people are being, obje- are being uh, discriminated against in America. But we do get increasing numbers of men who say, yes, they are facing discrimination in the workplace and in society more generally. And we've seen those numbers among all racial groups and all age groups creeping up really since that same time in the, you know, starting in the 1990s and the number of, in the 1990s, we saw the percentage of men who say women face discrimination going down. And more recently, we've seen the numbers of men who say men face discrimination going up. And so we've seen a men becoming more likely to believe that, boy, programs that help African-Americans hurt white Americans. Programs that help women hurt men. And once you get into that logic, that sort of zero-sum thinking, then you're going to believe, well, boy, if there's affirmative action to help women, that means men are losing out and I'm losing out and I'm facing discrimination because of that. I'm interested uh, from both of you. Here we have been talking about a rise in the last 20 years uh, pretty big rise of um, men who say they feel discriminated against. Um, We see young people, high school seniors, saying more. Um, I I think, you know, traditional generals of the man being like the main breadwinner, I think that that may be the way to go. Where do you see things going forward? Are we heading towards a society in which more people embrace these kind of like what what people would think of as sort of like classic 1950s gender roles uh, or this temporary... Kay, do you want to start? What do you think is happening? One thing that may suggest more and more mobilization among young people is that in the past presidential elections and thereafter, the Republican presidents tended to actually get young people care more and more about equality and potentially mobilize them. So Barack Obama was Barack Obama, and it was a special brand in many ways. But many young people who voted for him actually said that this is a vote to change the administration from that of George W. Bush to somebody else, anybody else. So that would be an indication that young people may feel more and more empowered and more and more imperative to become politicized. And that's particularly important for young women who tend to be really less politicized than young men are. They are much more likely to do things like volunteering and voting in national elections. They're less likely to feel like they can, you know, really go to town meetings and tell the city officials what to do, or they can feel really political, explicit in other ways. And this particular election, which has made young women feel more vulnerable than young men, this may be a time to become more and more mobilized. Where, you, where young women may be young mobilizing women. in a different way. Yep. And and Dan, what do you see 
happening? What's the trajectory here? I Unfortunately, I don't see things uh, getting much better in terms of views of gender roles. And I think the big issue here is really about polarization, is that we are seeing, and so people who are liberal and are looking for a ray of sunshine here, I think the ray of sunshine is we do see liberal young men who, when they're put in threats, when their gender role is threatened, are finding different ways of expressing masculinity. So we see lots of millennials who talk about the importance of fatherhood, and they express the masculinity by being a really good dad, even if that doesn't mean they're not uh, being the breadwinner, they're at home, you know, making toys for their kid and leatherworking and building things. So there's that. But I think you're getting increasing polarization on the other side, too, because sort of economic vulnerability that motivates this sort of reversion to more traditional gender roles isn't going to get better. It's going to get worse. When we see you know, millions of people who drive trucks or drive cabs for a living being put out of work by self-driving cars, we see increasing automation, you know, which is really the big driver here, putting more people out of work and making the lives of men without a college education even more tenuous, making them even more economically vulnerable. They're going to have to find some other way to assert their masculinity. And what Donald Trump has shown is that giving them an outlet in partisan politics works. And so I can't imagine that future politicians won't seize on that lesson Hmm. and have a message that's empowering for that group in an era where they're going to be more and more and more disempowered. Dan Casino is an associate professor of political science at Fairleigh Dickinson University. And Kay Kawashima Ginsburg is director of the Center for Information and Research on Civic Learning and Engagement at Tufts. Thanks so much to both of you for this conversation. You're very welcome. Great talking with you, Kara. The more things change, the more they stay the same. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Ah, it's just me or does anybody see? The new improved tomorrow isn't what it used to be. Yesterday keeps coming round, it's just reality. It's the same damn song with a different melody. The on our website, we've put together links to research on how our views of gender influence our votes, as well as more on that study that looks at the gender views of high school seniors over time. That's all at innovationhub.org. I didn't mean to cause a scene.